Chapter 10. Publish or Perish. On the Myth of Meritocracy. Trigger Warnings. Bullying. The fact that publish or perish exists as a term at all in academia tells us a lot about academic culture. In the pursuit of academic excellence, the fact that we are human can often get lost along the way. Instead, from day one, focus is placed on output, be it publications, collaborations or conducting experiments. The larger and more innovative the output, the more successful we are deemed to be. Papers are perhaps best likened to being universal currency in academia. The more papers you get, the more you are likely to get an academic position going forward. It follows that a large amount of pressure arises around trying to get as many high-impact publications as possible during your PhD journey. This is further compounded by the fact that publications are often placed on a higher pedestal than other work within the academy, such as mentoring, outreach, collegiate work, diversity and inclusion initiatives and teaching. Despite these other aspects of academic positions having huge impact on the retention of future researchers, this is a clear systemic issue. Not all academic research is considered equal either, with evaluation criteria such as Research Excellence Framework, REF, in the UK being used by institutions to determine the impact of outputted research. This system has been criticised for considering groundbreaking research as higher quality than studies looking at replicating findings or exploring incremental changes, despite replication of results being a huge cornerstone of the scientific method. This adds huge pressure onto researchers to constantly innovate and find novel research avenues to explore. It follows then that in the back of your mind there will likely always be a niggling feeling of I should be doing more, because theoretically the more time you put in, the more likely you are to generate publishable work and new ideas. This underpins the pervasive culture of overwork in academia. Feeling the need to constantly be on all the time can lead to a lack of sleep, increased stress, feelings of inadequacy and anxiety over whether you will publish any outputs during your PhD programme, all impacting mental health. In reality, there is of course a limit to how much of our time and energy that we can put into chasing publications. If we give too much, we will reach burnout, which can impact our creativity and prevent us from doing work entirely. This itself is a vicious circle, as that can then impede getting publications. A balance is therefore needed, which can be tough to find. I know I found this particularly difficult as I constantly worried that if I didn't keep up, then future me would somehow be hamstringed when trying to get future positions. I now realise that focusing on future me without giving any care for current me is not sustainable. It is clear that maintaining good mental health in this scenario can be difficult. What we can end up doing is constantly worrying about our future and the person we would have been if I had just worked last weekend rather than doing X. Where X might be relaxing, spending time with our family or simply resting. I likely cannot help you through these feelings of guilt in their entirety, but I do want to remind you that you not only deserve rest, you are entitled to it. Further, we would have to let go of the what-if version of ourself, that perfect version of us that pushed on through and did research every hour of every waking day. They simply are not real. It's only when we realise this that we can start to work with ourselves and look at the tools we have at our disposal, like self-care, and find the balance between research output and looking after our well-being that we need to thrive. In this chapter, what I cannot do is fix the current heavy weighting on publications within the university system. It clearly is a systemic issue that fuels overwork, hyper-competition and poor work-life balance, 
One of the tools I can give you, though, is a deeper understanding of how the publication process works and help you feel a little bit more comfortable with the process, helping to alleviate some concerns you may have. It's not an equal playing field. One of the biggest misconceptions that we tend to have as PhD students when starting our PhD programme is that by putting in hard work and as many hours as physically possible, we will generate academic publications. In reality, there are many other contributors going on behind the scenes. Luck. A huge factor in whether or not we get publishable results throughout our PhD is luck. The particular research area we explore may not have an outcome that is publishable, and this is outside of our control. This is always the case with frontier research, as we are exploring unknown space. Unfortunately, in STEM subjects, this leads to the possibility of our findings being null. Note, it is important to remember that a null result is still a result. It might just not be the game-changing find we were hoping for. The contribution of luck often goes unmentioned, because those that are successful would love everyone to believe that they achieved based on grit alone. Spoiler, they absolutely did not. Privilege. If we think back to getting papers being like currency, some individuals may have an advantage. For example, they may have had a family member already get a doctorate, which can help understand what is required when it comes to publications. Further, not everyone can work late into the evenings or all weekend because they have other jobs to do, caring responsibilities or need to manage their mental health. Thus, take time away from academia. Those that do not have these gain an advantage. Coming from a richer socioeconomic group can also be the difference between having a weekly cleaner or buying in healthy ready meals, enabling more time to do research. This is a complex problem, as if certain marginalised groups can never reach the same output as other colleagues due to caring responsibilities, for example, but bring a different, valuable perspective. The whole success criteria that academia models is not actually favourable towards diverse talent retention. I remember a scientific talk I went to where the professor presenting was asked how they did it all, as they had an established research career as well as six children. Not once did they mention their wife working as a full-time mother, despite this being the case, enabling them to do their research. Access to equipment and data. A subset of privilege, not every university has the same access to equipment as others. This may particularly affect STEM PhD students. It may mean that there is a long wait on using equipment that you need, or that you may have to travel to a different university entirely to do some of your studies. This is likely to slow your progress, and is outside of your control. Access to data may also be easier at some institutions than others, due to wealthier universities paying more for data processing software, or even being more well-known to the general population, so that they are more likely to come forward as participants for studies. Universities based in low- and middle-income countries may be particularly impacted. Field the area in which you are studying in, and even a subset of your field, may dictate the number of publications you're likely to achieve during your PhD. For example, if you require ethical approval, this may slow down the process. Further, the impact factor of the journals you publish in is also topic-dependent. Depending on your area of study, publishing papers may not be considered as important as publishing a book, monograph, or producing other outputs. Who you know. For the most part, the peer review process is not anonymized. This means that editors and reviewers will know what research group submitted the paper for review, as well as the names of the authors. This opens up the paper publishing process to bias. This could be bias against the gender of the paper authors, against the country of origin, or the PI on the paper, etc. 
For example, the Institute of Physics found that papers with female corresponding authors were found to have a lower acceptance rate than those for male corresponding authors, 40% compared to 43% acceptance rate, respectively. Whilst this may seem like a small difference, it still carries a knock-on effect. So now you know all this, it is clear that not everyone starts on the same playing field. Not everyone has the same access and privilege as everyone else, nor do they have an equal chance of success when it comes to academic publications. Many of us are brought up to believe that if we just try hard enough, we can succeed. This isn't the case. Academia is not a meritocracy. Publishing costs. Depending on the journal, publishing costs can be huge sums of money, even or especially publishing research open access, which is somewhat ironic. These costs mean that for some institutions, publishing in some journals is not possible. For research groups with smaller pots of available funds, this may also limit the number of publications that get published each year. Note, you should never be asked to cover the publishing costs of a paper yourself as an individual. These costs should always be covered by your institution. Further, predatory publishers may write to you and ask you to contribute your work to their journal for a fee. This is generally a scam and should be ignored. Legitimate requests for contributions to special editions of journals are likely to be directed at your PhD supervisor. This all can seem deflating at first, but it is important to realise that it is largely outside your control. Once you accept that fact, you can move on to focus on what you can control to help you throughout the PhD process and beat the odds. For what it is worth, your publication record, whilst important, is not a measure of your ability. As I stated at the start of this book, I do want you to succeed in academia. And if we have to operate within the norms of academia and the current definition of what success looks like, it is important to effectively manage our mental health so that we can have the energy to pursue research and get as much research output as possible. The publication process. If there's one bit of advice I can give you on the pressure to publish, it is that publishable work comes with time. You may not get data to be able to publish anything in the first year or two of your PhD. And as we get further into our PhD and understand the field, output tends to increase over time. Even then, depending on how challenging your project is, creating a tangible narrative out of only small parts of a bigger jigsaw puzzle can be tough, if not impossible. This does not mean that your work has no value, just that you're contributing to a larger picture that may require decades more work to truly understand. This is the nature of research. Understanding how the publication process works can go some of the way to help alleviate some of the worries and anxieties you might feel about the process. Whilst these will be slightly different journal to journal, the general outline of the publication process is as follows. First, you identify the journal you wish to send your work to, you format it according to their guidelines, usually found on their website, and submit the work. Once your paper is submitted there, there are a range of possible options as to what happens next. The first is a desk reject from the editor of the journal that you submitted your manuscript to. This is where the paper does not go out to reviewers in your field, as the editor believes that the manuscript that has been submitted is not within the scope of the journal. When this happens, it may be due to a calculated risk, aiming for a high-impact journal with the hope that it may be accepted, despite knowing there is a high chance that it may get rejected. Or not quite pitching the research to the right journal. These are both things that an experienced PhD supervisor should prepare you for. If a desk reject does happen to you, not all hope is lost. Although disheartening and often involving a few extra days or weeks of work, most manuscripts can be edited and re-prepared to submit elsewhere. 
It is also worth noting that some journals may only want to publish articles that are very different to other articles that they have published. Thus, if there is some similarities between your work and another paper, the journal may make a decision not to publish based on novelty, even if they are different pieces of work. This does not mean your work is not publishable, just that another journal might be more appropriate. When a paper is approved by a journal editor, the next stage is the paper being sent out for review to other experts in the field. You may be asked to supply reviewer recommendations, although this does not guarantee that your paper will be sent to the people you have chosen. If this was always the case, there is the possibility of bias, with friends in the field reviewing and approving other friends' papers, if conducted unethically. The review process can take several months or longer, and the uncertainty at this stage can be tough to manage. Tip. Whilst your paper is out for review, it is no longer in your control. To this end, if possible, try to use your energy on other research rather than worrying about the outcome. After the reviewers have had a chance to review your manuscript, the editor will then pass these comments back to you. At this stage, there are several outcomes. Publish without revision, publish with revision, and reject. Receiving a rejection sucks. I don't think there is a better or more polite way to say it. It also is highly likely to happen at some point during your PhD research. It's okay to take a moment to feel and collect your thoughts when rejection happens. It's not a nice feeling, particularly when it is on something that you've worked hard on for several years. On receiving a rejection, the real work begins by asking, why has this happened? And working with your PhD supervisor to make changes to your manuscript. The most important thing to remember is that, for the most part, rejections are not personal and is simply trying to ensure novelty within your research field. Publishing with revision involves getting feedback on the manuscript from reviewers with key items to address in order to ensure that the paper is fit for publication. Once all comments are addressed, typically, on returning to the editor, the paper will then be accepted or rejected in a small number of cases. Constructive comments serve to improve the manuscript and the result is often a better, more detailed piece of work after addressing reviewers' comments. However, you may have heard of the notorious Reviewer 2. This is used as a euphemism for receiving critical comments on a manuscript from a reviewer. Whilst reviews should always be respectful and polite, unfortunately this is not always the case. It is necessary to consider whether or not the comments made are constructive. It's easy to forget that reviewers also carry biases and grudges, and unfortunately, in rare cases, reviewing manuscripts can be misused to hurt others. Whilst some journals are now working towards anonymized peer review process, many have yet to take this approach. If feedback is cruel, it is important to remember that it really is the reviewer's problem, not yours. It may be possible in this instance to appeal any decisions on a manuscript to the journal editor. Ultimately, whilst this can be a setback and should not happen, it is highly likely that you will find another journal to publish your work in. Further, it is possible to contend the reviewer's comments. For example, rerunning an experiment might take another six months and might not be feasible. Thus, there is some flexibility on what comments are addressed or not. Tip. Being a reviewer yourself may give you valuable insight into the reviewing process and give you an opportunity to improve a range of skills for your CV. You are often automatically signed up to be part of a reviewer pool after your first publication. Publishing options. As you near the end of your PhD, the pressure to publish can really begin to mount. Publishing may not be an option, or it may seem that there is simply not enough time left. Some options include Seek collaborations. Doing a full research project on your own is a big and daunting task. 
if possible, teaming up with others that have different skill sets or perspectives to help complete bodies of work can lead to faster output and more rigorous research. Consider preprints. If you're nearing the end of your PhD, preprint servers may be a good option to get your research out into the public domain before formal publication. This also negates papers getting held up in months of review without the wider research community having access to the work. Further, this provides opportunity to not only get feedback from the reviewers on your manuscript, but also other independent researchers. This can be invaluable for making changes and strengthening the final publication. Note, some funding bodies or journals may not approve of preprints, so this needs to be checked first. No, it is okay to finish up publications after graduating. As much as we would like to have everything neatly wrapped up and in publications when we finish our PhD programmes, the chances are you will not achieve this. In a sense, this is a good thing because it means that there is much more research stemming from the work you have done. It is important to remember that you will be able to work on and submit papers after you finish your PhD, and if you do not have time afterwards, manuscripts will be finished by others. Who is perishing, anyway? As we will discuss in more detail in the next chapter, the majority of PhD students do not go on to stay in university roles. They instead go on to work in industry, government roles and non-profit organisations, just to name a few. Perish quite literally means to suffer complete ruin or destruction, which is quite frankly overly dramatic and not true. It is easy to think about an alternate timeline version of ourselves that worked through the night and managed to get 12 first author publications in top journals, but that is not sustainable for anyone other than a robot. For many of us with mental illness, putting our well-being first is not so much a choice, but our only option to stay well. It is important to remember, without you there would be no PhD. Whilst publications are often considered currency in academia, they are not the be-all and end-all. Further, some jobs post-PhD may not care about the number of publications you have at all. It is clear that cultural change within academia is also needed to recognise skills that contribute to academia outside the publication of papers. This is happening slowly. There needs to be more recognition for pastoral care, mentorship, compassion and many more soft skills that make great researchers. Perfectionism can also trickle in during the publication process, making it difficult to actually submit a manuscript. This can largely stem from fear of rejection. It is important to remember that any piece of research work is an evolving story and that it will never be complete. This is where good enough comes in. Further, reviewers are always going to look for holes in your manuscript. This is their job, so it's highly unlikely you will submit the perfect manuscript. One could even argue that if you did submit the perfect manuscript and got glowing reviewers' comments, perhaps that was time that could have been spent on other research that has been spent finalising the manuscript. Something if you are working towards a time-sensitive PhD should be avoided. Tip. A written draft is better than nothing written on a page. Start with bullet points to outline your main messages and build from there. Also useful is to keep all draft writing, even bits you delete, saved in a document so you can go back and use sentences you wrote at a later date. Writing your thesis. Of course, the biggest publication output you will have during your PhD is your thesis. This is one of the most challenging times during a PhD due to a range of factors, from feeling like condensing all the work you did over the last few years is an insurmountable task, to struggling with motivation, to feeling isolated. There are a range of fantastic guides out there for how to write a PhD thesis that do a much better job exploring strategies to get you through the write-up portion of your PhD than I can here. 
please see the online resources recommended online accompanying the book. But here are a few thoughts on how you might manage some of the feelings you may be experiencing during the write-up phase. Feeling overwhelmed. If possible, start planning your thesis and work on chunks early, but please do not panic if you have not done this. Discuss a thesis outline with your supervisor and look at what work is outstanding, making a priority list. Break down the work into manageable chunks or set yourself a writing target of so many words per day. If you're running research studies or experiments still, decide where your stopping point is. I found knowing where to stop running experiments very difficult as there's always more work to be done and more detailed conclusions to be made with more data, but at some point you have to draw the line. Feeling isolated. It can be really tempting to withdraw from socialising when writing up and spending time in your own writing bubble. If possible, try to avoid doing this completely. You may benefit from working in a coffee shop or library for some human interaction. Feeling unmotivated. It is completely natural to feel unmotivated at times. It may seem counterintuitive, but consider stepping away for a bit and having a break if you can. Switching up what you're working on can also help. For example, working on a figure or formatting rather than writing for a while. Online writing communities to assist with accountability may help. Feeling panicked. A hard, looming deadline can be a scary thing, especially when your PhD is at stake. It is important to remember that you are the expert in your field and that there is a range of support available to you, from colleagues to the online community. Extensions may be possible if needed. Feeling indifferent. One of the most difficult feelings to manage is not feeling or caring much about your PhD. I have both experienced this and seen others go through it. Try to look at this logically. That finish line is not far away and the power is yours to get there. If all else fails, remember, you've got this. You are the expert in this work. You can do this. Research misconduct. The Committee for Publication Ethics, COPE, states that good research should be well-adjusted, well-planned, appropriately designed and ethically approved. To conduct research at a lower standard may constitute misconduct, yet the pressure to publish in academia can have dire consequences. As in academia, papers are like currency, with the focus on output, quantity over quality is an increasing problem. And for some, this leads to research misconduct. This has also led to the replication crisis in STEM. This is where data within, predominantly scientific, publications is not repeatable, even if a person trying to replicate the data follows all the instructions outlined in the methods section to the letter. In some cases, this is because authors are in such a rush to publish that they abandon all rigour and do not replicate their work. But unfortunately, there is also a more sinister underlying problem throughout research, data manipulation. In some cases, the pressure to publish results in individuals abandoning their integrity and manipulating data to suit their hypothesis. This is research misconduct, is unethical, and can result in reputations being ruined if discovered. Over the last few years, the award-winning microbiologist and data manipulation sleuth Dr Elizabeth Bick has found thousands of cases of suspected results tampering and instigated over 150 paper retractions, and it is thought that there are many yet to be discovered. Work by Bick is based largely on image forensics, detecting when an image has been manipulated, so this means that there is likely a whole host of other data manipulation out there where edits have been made to raw data sets that may never be uncovered. Unfortunately, data manipulation is not just an act of individuals either. There is evidence that some PhD supervisors may embed academic misconduct within their research groups, pass it off as normal, 
and make it difficult for students to refuse due to the inherent power dynamic that exists. This can have huge implications for mental health. There is no excuse for this behaviour, but it can be really challenging to navigate as a PhD student. Ethical violations look like not declaring conflicts of interest, plagiarism, including self-plagiarism, omitting authors that contributed to work off research papers, adding authors that did not contribute to research papers, not obtaining ethical approval for studies, manipulating or altering data, asking leading questions, publishing redundant work, publishing the same paper with the title changed, collecting data on human participants without respect and dignity, poor handling of sensitive information, anonymity, rerunning of data until the result that is wanted is obtained. What to do if you realise research misconduct is happening? If you find yourself in a situation where you feel pressured by someone to do something unethical, remember that you are the most likely person to suffer the consequences if you do it. An account from PhD student 43 states, My PhD supervisor tried to force me to falsify data to support her hypothesis several times. She also tried to make me use a method that produced false results and would not let me present anything during one-on-one -on -one meetings or group meetings using the accurate method until I wasted a year of my PhD to show her that she was wrong. She begrudgingly admitted it. Every meeting she would tear into me to the point where I was having anxiety attacks before meetings and in my personal life. This doesn't mean all hope is lost if you have altered data at the request of someone in power because you felt like you had no choice or didn't realise the ethical ramifications ahead of time. If you feel like you're trapped, know that it is never too late to be honest. Whistleblowing may lead to a complete breakdown in the relationship between you and your PhD supervisor. However, your integrity as a researcher is far more important. Here is a range of possible options available to you. Speak to someone. To start with, this can be a heavy weight to carry, so consider confiding in a colleague about the situation. It may be that this has happened to other people in your research group too. Further, if you're worried about retaliation, speaking to someone outside of work, like friends or family, may be a good place to start. Suggest corrections. In some cases, there might have been an error made through incompetence rather than intention. It may be a viable option to raise the issue and retract the work if needed. Gather evidence. In order to create a formal complaint, documenting evidence of being asked to manipulate data is useful. This can include emails, as well as any conversation details you remember, including noting down if any witnesses were present. If you are being asked to manipulate data, explicitly asking the person to write that request down in an email is an option. For example, just to confirm, based on our conversation the other day, you asked me to do X. Join a union or speak to your graduate office. Most universities have a union or graduate office you can go to, Although it is not always obvious, as a PhD student, you're eligible to join staff unions. Unions act to protect the rights of workers and will be able to provide advice on what to do next. And may also be able to advocate for you. Speak to your course leader. If you feel comfortable doing so, speak to your course leader about what has been happening. Make sure to keep a paper trail of correspondence. Unfortunately, this is not without risk, as in some cases the institution may be protected, not the student. Find an ally. There may be another member of faculty in your department that you trust. Finding them and discussing your options with them before moving forward to more formal proceedings may help you get started. Leaving the programme. Honesty and integrity are two key parts of doing research. 
If the situation you find yourself in is untenable, the best option may be to walk away from the research group you're a part of. This can be an incredibly difficult decision, but it is important to know that you will be incredibly competitive when applying for new PhD positions due to the experience you already have. You could also consider explaining the situation and why you left at interview. Advocating for better. How can the pressure to publish be improved for PhD students? With publication metrics so heavily attributed to success in academia, this can add huge pressure to PhD students. To provide support for this, in my opinion, institutions should 1. Encourage collaborations. A collaborative working environment means that publishing papers does not require a PhD student to be an expert in all areas in order to publish their research. This, in theory, reduces the time it takes to publish work. 2. Ensure that contributions are recognised. Unfortunately, there are many accounts of PhD students contributing to data collection or writing of publications and not getting credit on the paper for the work they did due to biases and or bullying. Clear, transparent procedures as to what contributes authorship should be in place. 3. Demystify the publication process. Do not assume that all PhD students understand the publication process or will have it explained in detail to them by their supervisor. A lot of knowledge is assumed but may not be there for first-generation academics. Consider running training workshops for PhD students. 4. Provide reporting routes for research misconduct. Whilst we would all like to assume that scientific misconduct is not happening at our institutions, it likely is. Educating PhD students on what constitutes scientific misconduct as well as providing ways to report it is vital. 5. Begin to recognise contributions outside of publications. Systemic change in terms of what contributes success in academia needs to happen. It could be argued that there is a role to play from universities to ensure that output that is considered successful does not only include publications, but also inclusion and diversity work, teaching, pastoral responsibilities and more.